winsome speech has its place, but it's not a good default. I talk about developing multi-tonality and more on this episode of This is Foster. Let's start with Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise in their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. There is a winsomeness in speech at any cost crowd. And winsome means appealing or attractive. There's nothing wrong with this sort of speech in and of itself. The problem is when winsome becomes your only tone. You become monotone. One tone and one tone only. The reason I chose the first seven verses of Proverbs is because Solomon lays out his purpose in writing to his son. In verse 4, he says to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. The word discretion is important. The 1828 Webster's defined discretion as that discernment that enables a person to judge critically what is correct and proper, united with caution. It's the ability to make wise distinctions. Young people are terrible at that because they lack the experience to do so. So foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, says scripture. He must be disciplined and discipled to become wise. He must learn to have discretion in all things, including speech. Therefore, it's not surprising that speech is a major focus in Proverbs. I want to consider just a few of these Proverbs that we might be further sanctified in the wisdom of speech, that we may become men and women of discretion. Let's begin with Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Do not let the obnoxiousness of the tone police cause you to reactively believe that tone doesn't matter. It does. Words can feed a sinful fire or put it out. Soft words are like an extinguisher. Harsh words are like lighter fluid. How will you use your words? The word soft can also be translated gentle. Christ is the perfect example of gentle. In Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We must learn from our gentle king. In 1 Peter 2, Peter tells us in verse 21 that Jesus left us an example to follow. And then in verse 23, he says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Men who know their position before God, men who know that they will be judged by God, are men who can exercise immense emotional control under duress and only apply the proper amount of strength in response. That is a good understanding of gentleness. Gentleness is contextual. If you throw a bag of potatoes into the back of your minivan, you're being gentle. It's potatoes. They'll be fine. If you throw a lamp into the back of your minivan, you're not being gentle. It'll break the lamp. So it's all about the appropriate application of strength to the particular context. Our perfect Lord whipped people, called them out with strong language, and yet he was gentle in all he did because he applied the right amount of force with his words and actions. Wise men, people of discretion, use different tones for different situations. 
preaching or giving speeches is what you call heightened speech. Imagine Aragon giving the Black Gates speech this way. Sons of Gondor, of Rohan, my brothers, I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship, but it's not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men come crashing down, but it's not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this earth, I bid you stand, men of the West. That's wrong. That's not how you give a speech. The context, a large crowd of people preparing for battle, requires the speech to be heightened. Think of famous pastors like a guy named Paul Washer. He has a very uh, heightened speech when he preaches. And uh, could you imagine him talking that way all the time when he's just asking for someone to pass him the butter or something like that? That's That wouldn't make any sense. That's not contextual. That's not how you talk. It's not matching the tone to the situation. And that's the problem with the tone police. The tone police, the, the winsomeness at whatever cost crowd, they remove all distinctions. Hence, they make you monotonal. Being monotone is the rhetorical flaw of our day. If you're always edgy, you're probably angry or unstable. If you're always agreeable or winsome, you're probably a man-pleasing coward. You must be gentle, not harsh. You must apply the proper amount of force to the situation. But how? Well, it requires maturity and discernment. Monotone rhetoric is the fruit of immaturity and the hatred of discernment. We must recover the whole tool belt of biblical rhetoric and do so without becoming shrill in our tone. We need different voices. Mature men have a voice for each other. Mature women have a voice for each other. Mature men have a voice for women. Mature women have a voice for men. Mature people have a voice for children. Mature people have a voice for friends. Mature people have a voice for foes. If you have the same voice for everyone, you lack discretion. So how do you develop discretion? Maybe this will help. Consider Proverbs 27, 5-6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Many people never said the thing that you think they said. Many people don't hold the positions that you think they hold. Why? Because we, as an entire culture, are irrational and emotionally intemperate. We are bad thinkers who think that our emotions are reliable indicators of reality. Two things contribute to this. First, associative thinking. Second, emotional reasoning. Associative thinking occurs when you allow your mind to free associate or automatically link ideas, thoughts, observations, memories of existing knowledge, and your subconscious. It it plays an important role in creativity. It, however, can impede comprehension in the exchange of ideas. Let's take the word Catholic. It means universal. This is how the Apostles' Creed uses the word when it talks about the Catholic Church. However, people associate the Catholic Church with being Roman Catholic. So if I read the Apostles' Creed in my church, it is easy for people to wrongly conclude that I am okay with the Church of Rome. It takes a disciplined mind, a mind that doesn't wander and freely associate, to discern from context how a word or phrase is being used. Those minds are rare in the hyper-referential age. Now, let me explain referentialism, or at least what I mean by it. I'm thinking of like the cutaway gags from Family Guy. In one episode, Lois, who's the mother, she says, Nigel's charming, all British men are. And then Peter, her husband, says, yeah, right, that's what they said about Benjamin Disraeli. 
Then the scene cuts to Disraeli as he writes with a quill pen in a study and then glares at the camera. Benjamin Disraeli then says, you don't even know who I am. So the joke isn't really connected to the heart of the storyline of the episode. It's a throwaway joke. It's a throwaway gag, right? They cut away to this joke that's kind of funny in its abruptness or maybe just in the fact that most people don't know who this guy is. But it doesn't really move the story forward. And a lot of conversations are like that now where people will move from the heart of the conversation because a word was said that made them think of something else, and they hop to it right away. It's very associative. It's very referential. It has nothing to do with the content that's being communicated or even the the immediate context. So you can use the word Catholic in a well-crafted sentence or paragraph, and because of referentialism, people are still going to be jumping to whatever it immediately makes them think of. This brings me to emotional reasoning. This is where you are so strongly influenced by your emotions that you assume that they indicate objective truth. This really messes with communication. For example, you may assume that a communicator intends to anger you if a statement they made makes you feel mad. Your feelings serve as the interpretive grid for determining the meaning of statements. Think how disastrous that can be when paired with associative thinking. If a sentence has a word in it that provokes a negative association, you'll be driven to talk about that association even though it really has nothing to do with what's being said. The word makes you think or feel something, so that's what's being talked about. That's how that mind thinks. Subjects and verbs and objects matter very little. Indefinite and indefinite articles are mentally interchangeable. The context isn't the grammar or syntax of the sentence or the paragraph. It's the entire experience of the reader. The individual's associations and emotions are the arbiter of truth and meaning. If it feels a way, then that's the way it is. Now, let's consider that through Proverbs 25, 6. Sometimes the faithful words of a friend feel like a wound. It feels like a blow, an attack, a stab. But they aren't. They are words of love and care. They are faithful wounds. Sometimes the words of an enemy feel like profuse kisses. They feel good. They feel like being lavished with love. But they are unfaithful words. And you need to learn to discern which is what. Slow down. Ask how can these words be true. Question your emotions. Take a breath before you react. You can react in time. I see this associative thinking and emotional reasoning everywhere. I see it in liberals and conservatives. I see it in the broadly evangelical believers. I see it in the super reformed believers. I see it in men and women. It is everywhere. Mature biblical speech is like a well-stocked tool belt. On it hangs soft answers, sharp rebukes, encouragement, fearful warnings, sarcastic mockings, disturbing metaphors, rhetorical questions, calls to action, and so forth. Wisdom is knowing when to use which tool, having discretion, because they all have their place. Now, one last exhortation. In an age where both men and women lack emotional restraint, it's foolish to use inflammatory rhetoric if the goal is persuasion and communication. That's exactly the problem, though, right? The goal often isn't persuasion, but rather just sticking it to the perceived opponent. Generally speaking, that is a demonstration of a lack of emotional control. It's all about the cathartic release of anger and frustration. It's intemperance on display. Now, I know some reject of the category of inflammatory rhetoric, but biblically speaking, there are such things as words that stir up anger. Again, 
Proverbs 15.1 is sufficient to show this. A soft word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Soft words aren't middle-of-the-road weaselly words. It's important to remember Proverbs 25.15. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Soft words are powerful. They persuade. They break bones. This isn't to say there's no place for a hard or sharp rhetoric. There is, but those are tools that only belong in the hands of a temperate person. Also, I should add that even soft words will be labeled inflammatory rhetoric by the hard-hearted cry bullies of our day. Don't let them rob you of a biblical truth by overreacting. Let their outrage and complaints look all the more ridiculous when compared to your self-controlled, gentle speech. Until next time, don't just be a hearer of the word but be a doer of the word. I'm Michael Foster, and I appreciate you listening to this podcast. You can help it out just by leaving a review, a rating, or even sharing it with a friend.